words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life, our God. Amen. One of the themes this week from our readings is that of names. It's always interesting to hear how people get their names, isn't it? I got my name because, well, there was a little mini tradition in my father's family that the eldest son should be called John. So he was John and his father had been John. Uh, But my son isn't John because I got tired of fielding his phone calls and I was a little embarrassed when he fielded some of my phone calls from girlfriends and he was always a little slow to tell them that it wasn't who they thought they were talking to whereas I was quite quick to flick off the legal problems that I was being posed by my father's clients and uh, the other little tradition going in our family was that the eldest child got the mother's maiden name as their middle name so I'm Martin and my mother's middle maiden name was Martin And uh, my eldest cousin also has Martin as her middle name. I think Martin works better for me, really, than her, but never mind. I have to say that when it came down to children's names in our family, uh, I had a few ideas of what sons could be called, and Bonnie cunningly named all our dogs with those names, so that when we did have Michael and I tried to raise those names, she said we couldn't possibly name our son after any of the dogs. <laughs> she gazumped me. But we did have a little traditions like Bonnie only has one name, so our two daughters only have one name. So it's interesting how names come about, isn't it? So I wonder, how did you get your name? And I wonder if any of you would prefer to have had another name. Talk talk to your neighbour for a moment about how did you get your name and would you have preferred to have had another name? supposed to say something about us. I had looked up my name on the internet, not at Wikipedia, but there's lots of sites that tell you the meanings of names. And John apparently means grace or favour or mercy of God. So that's, so I wonder, what does that say about me? So how many people here know what their names mean? Surely does. What does your name mean? It's a place name in England, I believe it means sweetness. Sweetness. But for me, my surname was a little Christian name, which I dropped my surname off and took away by default. May was my little Christian name. Right. Now I'm Any others? No? Yes. Gurley? 
Well, my name's Italian for William, and that means resonant. Mm. Ava. Bird-like. Bird-like. <laughs> Barbara. So what do those names say about us? <laughs> what do our names say about us? Now here's another question. If we had the opportunity to name the person we're sitting next to, what name would we give them? <coughs> You can even tell them if you like. <laughs> In the first reading we had from uh, Genesis this morning, we heard uh, one of two versions of Abram's encounter with God. An encounter, and in both these stories, Abram bursts out laughing because of what he is told. It's so preposterous that his wife, Sarai, who is well beyond childbearing age, will give him a son. It's a ridiculous notion. But that encounter changes both of them. And because they are changed, they get new names. Abram goes from Abram to Abraham, and Sarai goes to Sarah. Names were a big deal. They were said to reveal or encapsulate in some way the character of that person. If you knew someone's name, you knew something about their essential character. And the fact that they are given new names means that their essential character is changed. This encounter with God changes them, even though they laugh even though they mock God, the fact that they have met God changes them and they get a new name. Last week I talked about Lent being a time to slow down, to be still, to listen deeply. And I suggested that it's a time when we can reflect on the three questions that I keep banging on about, which are, whose are we? Which is a question about who is God? And who are we? And what is ours to do? And in particular I suggested that we focus on whose are we? Who is this God we seek to follow? And I said that the answer to that question will kind of shape the answer to the other two questions. Once we begin to understand and Name who God is, then that shapes who we are. Just as Abraham and Sarah's encounter with God and the character of God changed them and changed their name, shaped who they were. So this week we are reminded that as followers of Christ, like Abraham and Sarah, 
our identity is slowly being changed by God. As we meet God here and as we meet God in our daily lives, we are being changed. We are being shaped by God, who God is. We are being changed by the character of God. Another way of saying that is that the heart of God is shaping our heart, is shaping our sense of who we are. So, when we ask the question, who is God, that will lead us to ask the question, who am I in God? So, what character of God is taking your attention this Lent? And what name is God inviting you into this Lent? Who are you being invited to be? In our Gospel reading this morning, we also meet another person whose name is changed. Peter, who was Simon, and his encounter with Jesus gives him a new name, Rock, Peter, Cephas. Although in this morning's reading, that would seem to be the last thing that he was. If we'd read the little bit just before this morning's Gospel reading, we would have heard the bit where Peter seems to be getting it all right. He says, when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And then says, who do you say that I am? Peter is the one that says, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus starts to talk about how he's going to go up to Jerusalem and he's going to be beaten by the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and then he's going to be killed. And that is not part of Peter's understanding of what Messiahs do. Well, not what they're supposed to do anyway. Most of those who called themselves, themselves messiahs had ended up that way, but they're not supposed to end up that way. You're not supposed to aim at that. And so Jesus' response to that is, Get behind me, Satan. And then he says one of the most well-known passages of the Bible. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? When I read this on Tuesday, I was struck by the statement. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I wonder how we understand that. I wonder how we react to that. When I read it, I was struck by how a first century Jew would understand that. Or even those who knew the story but were hearing that through Mark's Gospel, living in the Roman Empire. 
under the boat under the boot of Rome. How would they hear that? In that context, what Jesus is saying would be horrific. Take up your cross and follow me. It should appall us. It should shock us to our core. To carry a cross was to be declared an enemy of Rome. Stripped of all hope, all dignity, beaten, and then to have the means of your execution laid across your shoulders and forced to carry it out of the city to a prominent point near the main road, a place of death and pain, where your hands or nails or wrists were nailed to the crossbar, and then you were raised up to die slowly while being mocked by those who passed by and by the Roman soldiers. Where the most powerful force in that part of the world there would leave you to die a long and slow, tortuous death. Rome. Rome that encapsulated all that was wise, all knowledge. Rome that decided what was important and what had value and meaning. To carry a cross meant that Rome declared that all you based your life on, your God, your family, your people, all that has meaning and value to you, all that you hoped for, was of no consequence. It had no value. It had no meaning. And there you would hang, sometimes for days, naked, abandoned by all, until you suffocated and died. And all that gave meaning to your life died with you. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So what do you think people then would have heard? What do you think they would have felt as they listened to that saying? How outraged, appalled, frightened would they have been? And what do we hear? I think essentially Jesus is pushing our reset button. He is stripping us of everything that has given meaning to our lives. Stripping us of all our preconceptions about who God is and who we are. And is saying, start again with me. In me, you will find who God is. And you will find who you are. We are being invited to let go of our ideas about life and God and what is important and what is not important. And we are being invited to start again with the God who is found in Jesus. Take up your cross and follow me.
One of the invitations I hear in all of this is to let it go. And there are a number of things that I need to let go, really. I would love to be a person of influence. And I can remember 25 years ago as a young priest getting involved in youth ministry, thinking about how I could change the world. And 25 years on, I'm thinking I'm not entirely sure how much of the world I have changed. And I'm invited to let all of that go. I still think that my ideas about youth ministry are pretty good. And I wish that more people had listened to me. I sometimes listen to synod debates about youth ministry and I think, you know, some of us were saying some of these things 25 years ago if you had bothered to listen, but you were too hooked into how you thought things should be, and you still are. And sometimes I wonder if I could have done my previous jobs differently so that more people would have listened. And sometimes that can cause a fair amount of angst if I'm not careful a little bit of grief, a little bit of anger. But when I hear this, take up your cross and follow me, I am invited to let it go. Sometimes I can worry that my legacy will not be what I would like it to be, and I'm invited to let it go. Sometimes I worry that I'm not the person I wish I could be, And I'm even invited to let that go. Instead, I'm invited to walk the way of the cross. A walk that invites me to let go of all that I have built up that makes sense of my life. And all that I aspire to and hope for. And instead ask, how do I live out the character of God in my everyday life? Or, to put it another way, as Jesus said, how do I love God with all my heart and soul and mind, and how do I love my neighbour as myself? Or, how do I live out the name God invites me into? It's that simple and that hard. So... What are you being invited to let go of this Lent? And what name are you being invited to embrace, to live out? How are you being invited to live the character of God, this Lent, this life? So let's finish with a prayer. A prayer from uh, the Franciscan Daily Obedience, the prayer for Friday. Lord Jesus, in your servant Francis, you displayed the wonderful power of the cross. Help us always to follow you in the way of the cross and give us strength to resist all temptation. To you, Lord, with Father and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit be all glory forever. Amen.